Oh, say, um, I we're recording right now. We're doing this via mm-hmm. video chat. Um, yep. I just want can can you see me? How's my video? Can you see? Yeah, I've Evan. I I want you to know, I see you. You are seen. And and I know it's a little bit closer to, uh, it's a little close to noon, but I can't tell. You know, I've been in this basement apartment, so to me. It looks like the illumination streaming in through my window is the dawn's early light. Oh. Oh. Oh, say. Okay, okay, hang on a minute. Let me phrase this as a question, Jeopardy style. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's... Hang on, I need you to break this joke down for <laughs> me. I don't have a handle on it. <laughs> string, string those disparate pieces together for me. I, I'm really just trying to drop, drop little hints to... Uh, I think what is probably the most popular doesn't sound right, but is there another national anthem that carries with it the same fanfare and like hype that um, the Star Spangled Banner does? I, I, I mean, not in America, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not where I live. Where you live, I hope so. Though maybe maybe in Canada people react more strongly to the American national anthem than they do the Canadian one. That would kind of make sense. Like everyone, I think anywhere in the world the American national anthem does carry the most weight because as soon as you hear it, you're looking out for like drone strikes. I like O Canada. Like don't get me wrong, I enjoy uh, my national anthem, but it doesn't. When you sing it, you can't really like ascend to the heights. I guess that like. The Star Spangled Banner does. Yeah, I mean, I was I was driving today, and I was I thought I'll just sing the Star Spangled Banner to myself. I'll pretend I'm I'm starting out a baseball game, and I just started belting it out. And parts of it are just like gloriously fun to sing. It's written for the singer's pleasure. Yeah, there's a certain amount of theatricality within the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah, whereas like Oh Canada, that's like our home and native land. land. Uh, it's it's very much like the baritones and the basses there. <laughs> like and then, like, by contrast, when you're singing the Star Spangled Banner and you get to the part about the rocket's red glow, you can scream that. Glare, the bombs bursting in air. Like, it's, all, <laughs> it's so dramatic. And I know I'm doing less vocal flair than I would normally at a baseball game. But, yeah, it's so... It's, it's a lot. If I can ask, Evan, do you have any... Any uh, special 4th of July memories? What does the 4th of July mean for you? Because that's about when this episode is being released. I'll also accept Star Spangled Bangin' memories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's so good. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, obviously has to be... I don't want this in the episode, but it has to be, like, a 4th of July-themed porn movie. Oh, God, that's your best memory, <laughs> something like that. Easy. No, oh, no, you mean my banging reference? I thought you were saying yeah, that. Yeah, your... it has to be. Is I thought... banging. I thought you meant that was your favorite memory of Fourth of July. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's got to be one of these movies I've seen. Oh no, that too, that too. That that too. Oh, it's definitely both. <laughs> so with all of that out of the way, I just wanted to welcome all of our listeners back to National Phantom, which is, uh, of course. Two best friends talking about their favorite national anthems. Their favorite national anthems, that's right. My name's Luke, sitting across from me is my dear friend Evan. And, uh, man, we've got quite an anthem to talk to you guys about today. Uh, the Hulk itself, the star-spangled Bruce Banner. <laughs> that's not good, but I needed to get it out there. There has to be, there has to be like, a what-if Marvel comic 
where Bruce Banner is the one who somehow gets the super soldier serum Ooh, and becomes yes. the Star Spangled Banner. Bruce there has the Star to be. Spangled Banner. <laughs> I kind of love that. No, I straight up love it that. It writes when, itself. When they made the Hulk pink, they walked right past this. They could have made him even like, uh, like what's his name? The villain who appears in Jessica Jones with the flag face. Oh, like Nuke. Like Nuke, yeah. For me, I will offer this. I do have my 4th of July memories. The only reason the 4th of July is close to my heart, aside from the fact that I'm an American, is that growing up overseas, whenever it was 4th of July, we'd go to the embassy, and that was my one time of the year where I could have Dr. Pepper. Oh, man. Uh, because it was not available over there. I remember th- the significance of acquiring Dr. Pepper in Southeast Asia, at least earlier on, when it was more difficult to get a hold of. This is so stupid of me, but I, for some reason, thought of that as a really American plight. Like, we were both in the same place. <laughs> Neither of us had access to Dr. Pepper, but I thought, as an American, that loss was felt much more real by me. Oh, I, I was in the Philippines, in Davao, and then I went to Manila for a school trip. And at that school, mm. there was Dr. Pepper in the, um, in the soda machines. Wow. And I drank it for the first time ever, and just being like, oh my gosh... I've been missing out on this beverage, and then knowing that once I left that school and returned to my home, I would not have access to this uh, elixir anymore. It is, in my opinion, and probably also a fact, by far the best non-clear soda. Like, I'm a a Sprite guy most days of the week, but if I want something that's a little thicker and a little heavier, it's going to be Dr. Pepper. And again... We're the Dr. Pepper dudes. We're here to talk to you about our favorite beverages. No, no, no. Uh, Pep Squad. We're Pep Squad. <laughs> Ooh, nice. <laughs> I think my favorite part about this intro, which I actually think is quite good, I think our energy's high, <laughs> is how much one of our listeners is going to hate it. Wait, who? G-Town? Yeah. <laughs> he hates all of our intros. That's fine. That means we're on the mark. We're consistent. True to our brand. He really he really raked, raked us over the coals with last week's episode. I'm good with that. Good to get toasty. I uh, do want to mention to our listeners exactly what episode we're covering. Oh, and by the way, we're actually, we're the Scooby Dudes. Yeah, this is an episode specifically about Scooby-Doo. It just happens to be released in the week of the 4th of July, so we're getting a little bit patriotic, or I am. I guess you're getting a little non-patriotic, Evan? You're well, kinda... this is this episode drops the day after Canada Day. So my patriotism has swelled and ebbed. Mm. Okay. It, you know, it hasn't lasted more than the requisite number of mm. hours. I do not need to see a doctor. <laughs> you don't need to call your doctor. Okay. Gotcha. Then we're both patriotic. And actually, this could be the perfect episode for us um, because it takes place right on the border. Um, I would say the U.S.-Canada border. But as we say in this episode, it's just the U.S. border. That's all we call it. So uh, like, like you were saying, this is the Harem Scarum Sanitarium. Season 1, Episode 7 of The Scooby-Doo Show, the repackaged version of The Scooby-Doo Dino Mutt Hour. And, uh, and yeah, it's it's a fun little episode. Um, it, it, while it does take place sort of in this liminal zone between Canada, the Great White North, and America, the Terrible South, um, it also <laughs> takes place in two very different locales. Um, there is a sanitarium, but there is also a harem. So that's, that's also a fun little... Wow. Yeah, we're going there right from the start, but there is. I mean, and that's Canada for you. They're godless up there. They're, uh, they have no standards, no decorum, no No, 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 no. The sanitarium is in Canada. The harem is in the States. Okay, okay, you got me there. I got that part wrong. But that's Canada for you. They're insane up there. They're not mentally <laughs> stable. <laughs> all right, all right. Come on, we got to play the theme song. But, but they also have, like, uh, health coverage, so that's the other side of it. 
Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. So, so like we were saying, mm-hmm. this episode does in fact take place. Is it in Canada? It, it is in Canada, because okay. the gang, they're in the Mystery Machine, they were doing some touristy things, um, and they are trying to make their way back into their homeland, uh, the States, the U.S. Yes, Daphne says, are you sure this is the road to the U.S. border? And I have to say, it's the U.S.-Canada border. There's two countries on either side of it. There's multiple countries involved here. So yeah, they're, and they're just did some touristy things. We see Scooby with three prototypically Canadian... Uh, <laughs> trinkets uh yeah, what were did, they did you write them down because i i wanted to i took umbrage with these I, think. I actually i wanted your help with these evan and i did write them down i have here um ice skates makes sense hockey enough said totem pole and fedora with feather um it looks to me like a peter pan cap or a robin hood more peter pan than robin hood but also like someone like what it looked like what someone wearing later hosen would wear. Yeah, it did not look it didn't look in my mind like anything I associate with Canada. And I had to search like Canadian hat and I went through and I did find something that looked kinda like this. But I have no I don't know this is a Canadian thing at all. And and I will say Scooby Doo, at least older iterations, uh, have played a little bit fast and loose with representation and, and maybe fallen into stereotypes and that sort of thing. And I actually thought they were really going to lay it on more thick as far as like, oh, like Canada, you know, like. I'm amazed they didn't. They underutilized so many of the uh, the things they set themselves up with in this episode, and they overutilized some things that they should not have set themselves up with. Um, but we'll, we'll get to the rabid dogs who are trying to tear Shaggy and Scooby apart soon. I, I'm just, I'm a, I think I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, I... I was hoping for more Canadian stuff as well, but mostly the Canadian stuff they presented didn't land for me. Like the totem pole, I assume that's First Nation or something? Yeah, so um, First Nations, I think more uh, the West Coast. Oh, okay. Like, like West Coast First Nations. So Second Nation. No, just First Nations on the West Coast. <laughs> and the only other thing that's Canadian in this episode, if I can just mention it now, is a mounted moose head that appears at one point. That was very distinctly Canadian, which is not to say that there aren't moose in the States. Yeah, there are also moose, but that is a stereotype. Like, stereotypes aren't always accurate. We stereotype moose is meese. No, no I'm not going to do a Brian Regan bit right now. No, we stereotype moose as being very Canadian, even um, though it's not like the case. in uh, Brother Bear, the Disney movie. It's been too long. <laughs> that... Oh, yeah, there are two moose in that movie, and they're like very, they're like Canadian stereotypes. Oh, okay. Hmm. <clears throat> To, to return to the plot a little bit, the gang's in Canada. They're trying to make it to the U.S. border. Uh, they get stopped at one point by a Canadian Border Patrol officer, Doc, uh, uh, Officer Oldfield. And I thought it was interesting because, again, I'm expecting a lot of Canadiana in this ep. Um, and he's not a Royal Canadian Mounted Police. He's part of the Royal Canadian Border Patrol. Yeah, and he got, I mean, he's got kind of the mounty hat, but it's all gr- like tan or gray, and it doesn't really look mounty And he's wearing an overcoat. He doesn't have like the red uh, uniform. Yeah, I, I have to say, I'm not just disappointed that they didn't lean into the Canadianness, but it seems like they're leaning away, if anything. There's no harm 
in Officer Oldfield straight up just being a member of the Mounted Police. Yeah, it's like, that's the one thing that they're not comfortable with. They'll show the obscure hat, they'll go to the totem pole route, but no, not let's not show a Mountie. That would be disrespectful. Uh, Oldfield ex- explains that there are criminals trying to escape across the border into the States from Canada, and also, um, when you get to the fork in the road, go left, don't go right, because that's where the ghost of Dr. Coffin has been menacing people. Let's can we talk right now? The names in this episode are not the most inspired that we've ever seen in Scooby-Doo. I mean, we've got uh, uh, Dr. Tewksbury is is perhaps the the least bluntly named character. He sounds like a hobbit. He sounds like a hobbit. And obviously there's like Shaggy mispronouncing his name stuff to go on there, but we have Dr. Coffin and Officer Oldfield are really the two main name characters in this episode. And Dr. Coffin is just so also but Dr. Coffin previously worked at the Shady Sanitarium. Here, well, here, Luke, here's the thing that you don't know. I, I understand that you are American. You have resided in the States for a while, mm-hmm. Asia at other times, but mostly the States. Okay. Um, and in Korea, Kim and Lee are very common surnames. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here in Canada, Coffin is also just very, very predominant. I know like seven or eight Coffins. Wow, really? Is that... I mean, like, is that an origin of something? Like, Coffin Makers, uh, that was their name or something? Like, yes. <laughs> Correct. It is, I, I mean, I just read it. Not super inspired as naming goes in Scooby-Doo. It's, it's like, here's the thing. First, they hear this and they take it at face value because they're Mystery Incorporated. I guess it's just, yeah, if... If a police officer or a border patrol guard tells us that there are ghosts ahead, okay, that's normal. I don't even really remember him saying specifically ghosts. I just remember, like, there's some spooky stuff going on over there. And the guy's like, okay, whatever, well, we'll just, we'll just take the left, as you said. But he's, he names the road that they should take to the left, so when they arrive there, and the sign has been, like, been struck by lightning or something. Been struck to... by lightning, correct. Is that really what it was? Oh my god, 100%. Because <laughs> everyone knows... Wooden signs are like lightning rods for lightning. And when wooden signs are struck by lightning, they will often reverse. They rotate. They don't, they don't split like a tree. When it's a sign, it rotates. Can, Pivots can on I an axis. also point out, because I said before we started recording, there are a lot of goofs and gaffs. Mm-hmm. The gang is driving on a straight road, and the sign, there's no fork. Yeah, no, he says, take the fork to the left to follow this road, but it just goes straight, and they ignore the left turn. They just keep going straight. And I don't know how much I want to fault them for this. I feel like I should, but I don't know. I just feel, I was under the impression that they would get to a fork, there'd be a left and a right, but instead, there's one road going straight with a perpendicular You're left You're right, turn. that's not even remotely a fork. It's the officer's fault here. Because he should just say, take the left turn onto blah blah road. Um, the gang is, gets completely lost because they miss that turn. They notice an ambulance drive by, and it's kind of weird. We hang on the moment when the ambulance splashes water onto the, the windshield. <laughs> and, Which I thought they were going to make a joke about, like, oh, Canadians are so polite. Yeah, or something. I thought they might make a joke like that or something. Because it does feel like that moment where you're standing on, someone's standing on the sidewalk and they get splashed by a drive-by car. But the gang just kind of registers it, literally lets it wash over them. And then it's like, let's follow the ambulance. And they do. Yeah, they, t- they take a cue from a certain brand of lawyer. And they, uh, <laughs> they chase that ambulance. They chase the ambulance. They get to Shady Sanitarium. 
and uh, they see them like the what Daphne calls the ambulance men unloading <laughs> patients from the back of the ambulance. And I think there might be another term for that. Do you hear this cat? I don't. It's yowling. Or like, it's lonely, I guess. What's up with that? Is, is someone like controlling it with some eerie organ, organ music, music or something? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing about um, the ambulance men taking one of the patients into the sanitarium. And and for our listeners, sanitariums were like mental hospitals. Yeah, I mean, a sanitarium asylum. Am I using, are those synonyms, would we say? or the? They're, I would say they're, yeah, they're, they're pretty similar. Mm. Velma thinks it's weird that they're bringing a patient in. She says, in this weather, at this time of night? Oh, yeah, because to Velma, it's raining. Yeah. apparently people are only brought into hospitals during the day when the weather is good. <laughs> It's like, there's like a slight drizzle out, and there's just a long winding line outside of this hospital, which is completely empty and has nothing to do, and people are just waiting, looking for a break in the cloud so that they can rush their dying loved ones in. Velma, you, you understand ambulances for, are for emergencies. Sometimes, in some ways, dying people who are wet need the most help, because they need yeah. to be dried and healed. This, this weather and this time of night are what makes it so that the ambulance is carrying the patient and not... I don't know, like, a friend or family member. Yeah, something like that. I, if I can hit a couple of things here relatively quickly, we, Scooby sees in the top story of the sanitarium what he believes to be a ghost, which is really just a pale, mad scientist with elf ears. <laughs> Truly. No, it is. It is. It is, um... Uh, he appears very early on, because you know how Scooby-Doo is. You often see someone... It's as if they're on Pride Rock looking down. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's like, it's someone who thinks lightning is the funniest joke in the world. There's like a crack of it, and they're like, <laughs> I I call him, he's just a spooky surgeon. Spooky surgeon, that's perfect. He's the spooky surgeon, or the ghost of Dr. Coffin, as they call him in this episode. And you're right, he does have elf ears, and he glows. He has a luminescence about him. And, uh, and Scooby sees him, and then communicates it to Shaggy via charades, which we often see Scooby do. But in this case, I want to say the charades are terrible. They're the worst we've ever they're seen. Not, they're nonsensical. They're nonsensical, but actually, Shaggy gets it. This is almost the reverse of ones that we see before, where Scooby has perfect charades and no one gets it. I, I couldn't make heads nor tails of Scooby's little gestures. Nor could I. Nor could I make heads or tails of the tone of the scene that follows, which is um, frothing at the mouth, angry, potentially rabid dogs, bolt out of the sanitarium, bolt past Fred... Daphne and Velma and chase Scooby and Shaggy up a tree gnashing and snarling their teeth. Right before that happens there is organ oh, music that plays Shaggy and Scooby are on the tree these dogs I mean so the camera takes the perspective angle of Shaggy and Scooby looking down and the dogs are jumping up and it looks like they are jumping 10 feet into the air <laughs> It's like those gifs of cats that you see where it's like there's no way it can jump that high and it does um, I mean, it's terrifying because these are apparently, like, dogs that are going to kill them. You're, you're better at dog breeds than I am. What kind of dogs would you say these are? Non-existent. I'd say this is like if a dog was crossbred with a mountain lion. Because they have some sort of, like, feline snarling quality to their faces. Like, it, it kind of looks almost like a, like a pit bull, maybe, or like a cross with a Rottweiler with more of a gray mm, yeah. coat. And we almost never see them not snarling in this episode. They're either, frankly, cutting a rug or they're about to kill you. <laughs> um, Dr. Tewksbury, how would you describe Dr. Tewksbury? Um, I mean, I think he's 
Igor without the hunchback. Oh, you know what? That's all the description our listeners need, I think. I think so. And he's also a redhead. Um, so the dogs stop menacing Scooby and Shaggy at the tree, and they walk away, and I quote, like puppies. And I say, like, I quote, I say, and I quote, because they say that, I think, three or four times. That these dogs walk away like puppies. I didn't see that. I didn't, I didn't really register them saying that, and I certainly didn't register that visually on the screen. <laughs> but apparently, like, we're supposed to disregard these dogs as threats immediately once they stop chasing Scooby and Shaggy. And once, her, once Dr. Tewksbury gives us the background, which I'll lay out now if I may. Um, doc, these were originally Dr. Coffin's pets, which Dr. Coffin was experimenting on uh, with brainwave science, trying to control them with organ music. So just like the creepiest thing you could possibly imagine from every possible perspective. And if I can also mention here, Velma says like, it was super scary. Those dogs almost killed us. No, Velma, they ignored you. They almost killed Shaggy and Scooby. Yeah, you you stood there and watched these dogs menace your friends. Yeah, there, there's no attempt. Yeah, also, like you clearly didn't fear for your life. You didn't even step into the mystery machine when they ran past. What I really like about Dr. Coffin is... He once picked up a Psych 101 textbook, read about Pavlov getting the dogs to salivate when he rang the bell, and then took it to the, the biggest extreme. He's like, okay, a bell? One note. Organ music? Many notes. Salivating? All right, okay. Unconscious reaction. I'm going to make these dogs. I'm just going to control them. You know, Evan, you say that like he took kind of a sharp left turn, but that is the natural progression of Pavlov. I mean, nobody was a bigger fan of Pavlov than Michael Vick. And that's, I mean, this is the direction you go when you, uh, when you read that science. And one last note about Michael Vick. Um, <laughs> okay. Horrible, horrible person. But really, if you think about it, the best purveyor of vapor rub on the market. Okay, I knew it. <laughs> you can cut that. I just, no, I I'm going to keep that. To be... Please. I'm gonna keep it, and the reason why is because I was gonna try. I was thinking of a vapor rug angle myself, and I couldn't get there. So, fair is fair. You got it, buddy. Very good. All right, thank you. I think uh, one other thing Doctor Tuxbury says is that you know all of our patients have been going missing lately. Um, I think they've been scared off by the ghost of Doctor Coffin, but also they've just been disappearing. So it's kind of vague. Look, are they being kidnapped or are they just leaving? Which you're not supposed to be able to do from a sanitarium, I don't think. Also. Dr. Tuxbury is being pretty cavalier about patients, people who are in need of, of help, mm-hmm. they need medical attention, disappearing. Oh, he does not care. Throughout this episode, the one central quality we have to go on on Dr. Tuxbury is apathy. He does not care. I mean, he, he cares about these visitors. He invites them to dinner. Um, and then mm. um, invites them to stay the night because the weather is not very good and it is late. Uh, but then he, he, he himself vanishes. That's true. He just kind of disappears. And I started to jump ahead a little bit, but I guess the gang never thinks to knock on his door when they're looking for him because he's, he's ultimately in his room. Yeah. Um, yeah. A spoiler alert. Dr. Tuxbury sleeps throughout this entire episode. I'll say he's not the villain or if he is, he's like God in the clockmaker metaphor. Like he sets it all in motion and then just lets it roll because he sleeps through everything after this point. Um, Shaggy and Scooby are convinced to stay by the invitation to dinner. I just want to say that so I can mention Shaggy's line, which I love when they sit down to dinner. It's like, Scoob, please pass me everything. 
<laughs> I also wrote that down. I also thought it was delightful and want to say it when I go to a dinner party. <laughs> Would you pass everything, please? I think it's great. I We also have one of our favorite minor things that happen in the occasional Scooby-Doo episodes, bedtime routines. Yeah, um, so it's obviously boys in one room. Boys and a dog in one room, girls in the other room. It's a boy dog, so obviously. Would, hang on, would, Scooby would be with the girls if it was a girl dog, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Okay, just one confirmation. Um, so it's, um, it's like a dorm room setup. There's a bed, uh, on, against each wall, and Scooby himself actually has a little bed, um, right under, underneath the window. Yeah, I, I, this is... Also a very minor trope that I love. Fred's like, I'll sleep here, Shaggy, you sleep there, and Scooby, you sleep under the window. And I love when Scooby just says, okay. 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 <laughs> You're such a good dog, Scooby. You're just good with this. Just this brief little... We don't have to have Scooby confirm that he understands. He's gonna do it. That but... might be the most dog-like, the most realistic dog-like thing about Scooby. If dogs could speak, you would tell dogs to do things, and they'd be like... And they'd say, okay. okay. <laughs> exactly i love it um and when, when scooby goes under the window that's when lightning flashes of course dr coffin is right outside the window uh he spooks them uh spooks scoob jumps onto the moose head that we mentioned earlier and reveals a secret passage well, i love it i love that he reveals a secret passage and that we see the antler kind of chunk down like a lever to to open up the door the secret passage itself doesn't make a ton of sense to me because it looks like a giant bathroom with funny house mirrors. A fun house mirror. Fun, ex- <laughs> funny house mirrors. The comedy club I go to has mirrors like that. It's really great. <laughs> the funny house. It's right next to the laugh factory. Um, and adjacent from the chuckle hut. Uh, oh, thank you. I needed a third one. I was <laughs> coming up so short. I was going to say the spotlit brick wall, which is <laughs> so bad. Uh, it's I like I like Funhouse Mirror gags. Whenever I see a Funhouse Mirror gag, I think about the animator and the work that they're putting in having to just draw these like amorphous, you know, just the way that their bodies are being twisted. Yeah, I mean, it's like the M.C. Escher self-portrait in a, in a reflective ball. It's like to accurately warp features is so far beyond even accurately resent- representing and also resenting features uh, that I can and think of. Kind of a wasted opportunity here. Is that what you're going to say? Uh, I just, it's, whenever there is a funhouse mirror in Scooby-Doo, Scoob is going to get scared of his own reflection. And he doesn't happen. He makes scary faces in the mirror and it looks scary back at him. But it, it, it delights him and does not scare him. And that, no, to me, is a mistake. I think he is scared. I think you'll find that he is scared. Really? Here's the thing that tripped me out. Mm. Fred and Shaggy are both having their bodies twisted in delightful shapes. I'm sorry, is this Scooby... the LGBTQ plus episode? We, did we cut back there for a second? No, 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 no. Okay, this is a different kind of Fred and Shaggy twisting their bodies into delightful shapes. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Scooby just looks bigger. It's they, they don't warp him at all, really. It's just, it just becomes bigger and scarier. And again, in my opinion, he does not scare himself as much as he should. So the weirdness doesn't isn't relegated to the funhouse mirrors. Um, Fred, even though this place looks reasonably well lit, is like, oh, we got to find a light switch. And Shag finds one. He flips mm. it, and the entire ceiling opens up. Yeah, it's uh, it's like a stargazing room. And then, if that's not weird enough, the moon like shoots down as a single beam not refracted through anything it hits the mirror and then refracts further into a tight beam which 
briefly blinds Scooby in his face, and then Scooby keeps shielding his eyes as the beam crawls down his body towards what's not just his butt, but his butthole, and then sizzles sparkingly there for a moment. Um, I really, really like in cartoons when someone's butt is burned so they uh hop into a bucket of water or a barrel or something and then steam comes up and then they're like (sighs) that's maybe the like the cartoon trope that i've had the least real life experience with like my butt has never been that hot (laughs) i've never had to stick in water or on ice and I don't know if I did, if it would be like, ah. Oh. That's so accurate because... It would just be a lesser level of pain. Anvils fall from great heights in your everyday life. I get constantly. that all the time. Like, dude. You've never, you've never like, sat... It's supposed to be 33 degrees today in Toronto. But you've never sat down on, a, on like, a... On, like, a metal bench or something? No, there's no hot metal benches here in the Twin Cities. There's a lot of falling anvils. There's rakes just littered all over the place uh, with prongs up just ready to be stepped on. Never a hot piece of metal. No. Oh. I, I just feel like I've sat on something that has been so hot and I've, like, sprung up. Um, I have not then dipped my rear into water, but I think the hot butt thing is, yeah, like, the, the hot important. Butt. I've... I mean, Evan, you know this. I've never had a hot butt. The moonbeam, <laughs> we're told. Fred, for some reason, just like, uh, kind of like magics out of the air. Oh, this is actually meant to house a sunbeam. Like this, even though the moon is clearly effectively drawing, like redirecting heat and solar rays, this is designed for solar, like the sun. I, I want to say that Fred is Velma in this episode. And Velma is no one in this episode. Fred posits correctly that this sun, this setup with the mirrors, um, and it's directed to this one weird contraption, is a solar furnace, which is a real thing. Yeah, um, used to heat something up. And Fred, But Fred's like, but who knows what it could be used to heat up? And it's like, Fred... We see that the beam goes directly into this cauldron, which has substance, some kind of substance still in it. You want to look in there? You want to just, like give it one moment's thought? You managed to derive so you managed to gather so much just from the setting, but we won't find out till the end of the episode what that was. While Fred is um, exhibiting a modicum of genius, um, the girls do not have a dorm room setup. No, they're sharing a bed, buddy. We have we have both of them in their jammies in the same bed. Velma with her curlers. Um, it's um. Man, we're a lot of callbacks to the LGBTQ plus episode, but there's a lot we could read into this. Why is Velma wearing curlers when she doesn't have curly hair? It would almost make more sense for Daphne to be wearing curlers because she has wavy hair. Velma, Velma's just got a straight up bob. She would have, she would straighten her hair if anything. Yeah, Velma has curlers and also grandma pajamas. Very grandma pajamas, like so grandma-ish. Like she could almost wear them out. Like they're so modest. Um, they, they awake, they look out the window, they see that the ambulance is taking bodies away, and, um, they mention that these bodies don't look alive. And I don't think at any point they say dead bodies. They say dead bodies later. Really? The term dead bodies is mentioned, or like dead and death. It's kind of, it's a grim episode, not just because people are about to be torn apart by dogs at some points. Like, I, I just noticed, um... 
that they're just like, oh, bodies, they don't look alive. And then later they're talking about the bodies and they're just like, oh, they're probably taking them to the cemetery. And I felt like they were s- stepping around, like using like corpse or anything. Well, like they that. didn't until later when they think that there's like a whole room full of dead bodies. And then Daphne kind of really makes it more serious. It's like, oh, all these dead bodies. Oh my gosh. And it's like, yeah, these are a lot of dead bodies for real. But yeah, they see them taking all these bodies to the, uh, they think the cemetery, but when everybody hops into the mystery machine to follow, they find that they're actually going to the Niagara Falls. Um, and the ambulance that they're following disappears. Fred, in following said ambulance, almost drives off a broken bridge. Because <laughs> he says, anything the ambulance can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than the ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. And it's a rickety, it's a rickety, it's a, it's a broken bridge. But it is mm. a rickety wooden bridge, supposedly spanning Niagara Falls? Yeah, I don't know if that ever existed. Um, they go right back to the sanitarium. Everyone goes find... back to bed. That's Everyone what I think is goes... really funny. They're just like, oh, well, we, we lost the ambulance, so it's just... And what follows is the most borderline macabre comedic scene in the whole episode for me, which is Dr. Coffin in some kind of basement playing the organ. The dogs upstairs wake up, the two, like, pitbullish dogs, the organ apparently also triggers the opening of their cage. Right, because the cage also opens. And then the dogs trot down to the basement and st- st- on their rear legs begin dancing with one another to the organ music. <laughs> Dude, I actually thought it was so funny. It, I, my notes, it is both utterly horrifying and hilarious. And this is one of those early episodes where there's an occasional laugh track. And for this part, the, they don't know how funny it is. There's like these tiny little murmurs of laughter but not real laughter (laughs) like they don't they're hedging their bets so scooby wakes up because he hears the organ music and i i said i i took umbrage earlier i also take umbrage with this because it's not that it's never implied that dr coffin has come up with the organ composition with which to control all dogs more that he has um experimented on these dogs specifically for the organ music to have an effect on only them. That's a good point. I had initially read it as he'd done experiments on these dogs to make them susceptible. And really, like Pavlov, you've got to train a dog to get this kind of reaction. And yet, the organ music haunts Scooby immediately. And Scooby is um, drawn out of bed and downstairs into what I think is a genuinely funny gag where he cuts in on the other two dogs dancing. May I have this dance? May I have this dance, please? And he does. As the other dog, who is now cut out of the dance, respectfully takes a step back and kind of taps the foot, taps the paw, excuse me, and dances on their own. <laughs> no, the... Okay, so Shaggy realizes that Scooby is gone. So the rest of the gang finds Scooby down there dancing with this dog. And if you... And then the other dog is, I think, like, two feet away, doing a little jig. Doing a little... He's Army Hammer and Call Me By Your Name. He's in his own world, he's loving it, and frankly, I'm loving him. It's... I just think it's so funny that you're like, well, uh, my dance partner has been taken away. I'm not about to vacate the dance floor. Yeah, like, that doesn't have to spoil my fun. Like, yeah, absolutely, you guys go have fun. I'm still here dancing. It's cool. I have to say, maybe that's the organ thing is kind of great. Maybe Dr. Coffin just wanted to give his dogs the self-confidence to dance like nobody's watching. Oh, man. I, fun. Like, I think that's the highlight of the episode for me. Is That is the Scooby height of this dancing episode. It's with the a pinnacle. strange dog and then another strange dog. It's, it's the most emo- emotionally heartwarming part of the episode. 
as soon as everybody shows up, I think Dr. Coffin kind of is like, oh, time to, time to get to the chase scene now. And so they, he chases Scooby and Shaggy get chased by the dogs into a room full of wigs. Yeah, Shaggy says, um, basically snaps Scooby out of it, which in turn oh, yeah, breaks the spell, I guess. Um, so Scooby, they're all chased by dogs. Scooby and Shaggy are chased into one room, which is full of wigs. And then Fred, Velma, and Daphne run in the other direction. And they go into another room, which turns out to be the same room okay. that Scooby and Shaggy are in that is full of wigs. I I gave it the benefit of the doubt that I messed that up, that they ran in opposite directions and arrived at the exact same place. Maybe it's one of the it's a circular basement room or something like we wrapped around and we met we came together, but it doesn't make sense. Um but yeah, it's full of wigs. I, I, I like that Scooby wears a wig. He's gonna wear a wig, of course, but I like that Fred says, Oh, excuse me, ma'am. He like takes it at face value for a moment. Fred's such a gentleman. He a, a consummate gentleman. Um, they then split up and look for clues, which doesn't seem like a sensible thing to do when you're actively being pursued by dogs. There's a setup that is not milked for comedy, which is very unfortunate. Um, Scooby and Shaggy find what looks to be the device that Coffin used to experiment on his dogs, because a phonograph just... and like a brain melter, couple of Tesla coils. And they sit in them, and then they run away when Dr. Coffin shows up. And I thought that was a real... It's, it's almost like he shows up too soon and cuts off their gag. Yeah, like his cue, he, he, he didn't take his cue, he went on too early. Yeah, exactly, because we don't have anything with that. He just flips on the phonograph and stuff, and it starts to zap Scooby and Shaggy, and they split before it takes effect. And then from there, we have a, a pretty satisfying chase scene and a couple, and, and, and couple of gags. Um, there's an x-ray room... Um, Scooby has a bone uh, in his they, tummy, and Shaggy has a hot dog with bun just intact. Just a full hot dog. Um, they're not wearing lead vests. <laughs> no, they're which not. Which is uh, pretty, pretty unfortunate. <laughs> um, there is a dupe, because uh, Dr. Coffin chases them into a uniforms room. I, I really like the progression of the dupe. It's so quick, but it's so clean, and it has a great uh, tag joke. Scooby, Shaggy comes out as a doctor. He says, say, ah, monster, however he sounds like. And Shaggy says, ah, you ought to see a doctor, and then walks right past. Um, <laughs> short but sweet, and I think it's good. And I, I love the you ought to see a doctor line. And from, uh, sorry, what? Scooby-Doop. Oh, Scooby-Doop, yeah. If, if it doesn't make sense what we just described to you, let me, let me give you a definition real quick. The Scooby-Doop typically happens within the chase scene of an episode of Scooby-Doo. Typically, it's enacted by Scooby and Shaggy, and it's a gag in which they pull the wool over the monster's eyes by improvising a scene which pressures the monster into a, a role which uh, enables Scooby and Shaggy to get away. It, it creates a context in which the social pressures are so great that the monster must comply. In this case, Shaggy presents himself as a doctor, forcing the monster to respond as a patient. We have been neglecting to do this in past episodes. I want to make sure that we stick on it. Let's let's come up with our own dupes. What would be our dupes for this episode? And I um, will say, since this takes place in a sanitarium, I'm only going really dark places. <laughs> wow. I, I wanted to avoid that. My first thought is, what can I do with the organs and the dancing and stuff like that? Um, and I think what, what mine is going to be is that, like, maybe the organ music is getting played and uh, the, the dogs start dancing or something like that. And Scooby and Shaggy maybe come out as the strict church-going people from Footloose and say, like, <laughs> you can't do that here. This is, that's impure and you're degrading our town. Um, maybe that kind of angle. Although I'm not sure how that affords them the opportunity to get away 
And also, if the dogs are dancing, they're not gonna... You're telling me that then Dr. Coffin and the dogs get on a bus, and uh, the bus gets into a dangerous accident, <laughs> leaving only Dr. Coffin alive, and he has to return to the sanitarium? I only know what Footloose is about in broad strokes. I apparently don't even know the broad strokes of Footloose. <laughs> I was just gonna say, and then, no, here's how it ends. The dogs defiantly run into the woods and have a fight dance scene on their own. Do you think that that's what happened in Footloose? Isn't, that's what happens in Footloose, isn't it? That's what happened. That is the origin of the solo dance fight scene that's mirrored in Hot Rod. They go to the woods? Look, I'm gonna put this. And, I'm gonna put this in the no, show look, notes. No, look, it doesn't just happen in the woods. I think it just he like runs all through this small town, so it's rural, and he's like in in somewhat like industrial kind of spaces. Man, people who love Footloose are gonna hate this <laughs> right now. Uh, my my dude. But what's yours? Is um, so the chase scene takes them into the solar furnace room, and hmm. um, through some because it's a chase scene, things get broken the funhouse mirrors are shattered um and then the moon mm. turns the funhouse mirrors into a disco ball oh dang that's good so then there's a little like disco scene a little saturday night and, fever going on and i guess somehow the coffin is playing but it's like disco-y organ music um and th- yeah there's a little there's a little dance off between shaggy and scooby and dr coffin and their afros and like bell i don't know that's that's my dupe I, and if I can piggyback on that a little bit, I think they let Dr. Coffin win so that he's kind of self-congratulating as they get away. Oh, yeah. So we have the Scooby-Doop. Daphne, Fred, and Velma then find the morgue, quote-unquote. They keep referring to it They keep referring to it as a morgue, and there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is because there are a bunch of gurneys with bodies on them. It's filled with dead bodies. And Daphne really kind of uh, communicates the weight of this, of all this... All this death in this room. It is horrifying when you take into account the fact that Dr. Tewksbury said that patients have been disappearing. And he doesn't know where or how, and he hasn't checked. Either he's in on it or he hasn't checked the basement. So there's this idea that all of these patients have been killed or murdered and are being stashed in this basement room. And at first, when we see that, and basically it's all covered people and then like hair sticking out the end of the gurneys. We see Fred walk up to one of the gurneys, and at first, I'm going to contradict myself in a second, but at first I could have sworn I saw Fred grinningly walk up to one of these, smiling big, and then pull over the... Pull. I have in my notes that he gleefully uncovers one of the bodies. Now, I rewatched it because I really wanted to be sure of it. In fact, he has a completely blank expression. If anything, like a sociopath when he approaches the gurney. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't smile until he pulls over the sheet and sees that it's not a dead body. But it's, I want to say, he might have smiled if it was a dead body. We don't know he wouldn't have reacted that way. That's like when he expressed his disappointment the, in the, the first blood. episode the we've very ever done. Episode. That was boring old paint. <laughs> what a night for a night that was. Um, but here we find they're not dead bodies. What are they? Uh, what they are are stacks of gold bars. I think they almost say stacks on stacks. Like, they come so close to that exact phrase. But it's stacks of gold bars laid out with just a wig on top. Um, so, at this point, Dr. Coffin, Scoob and Shack have evaded him. He apparently forgets that they exist and is talking to the two ambulance men and says, Hurry, we must deliver another body. Uh, so they take the gurneys that have Scooby and Shaggy on them because they're obviously hiding. Because Scooby and Shaggy have hidden in those to, yeah, get away. 
Get him in the ambulance, and so, they drive off. So, um, the gang make chase in the mystery machine, and very dangerously, Fred says, they won't stop us, or I, I might have written that wrong, they won't see us with our headlights out. No, yeah, it's, it's so many points in this episode, it's scarier, and I feel like I say this a lot, which probably makes me sound like a real pansy, but it's scarier than I expect and maybe want Scooby-Doo to be. The fact that we have, like, dogs chasing, ready to eat people alive and tear them apart. I mean, this is one step away from Ramsey Bolton in Game of Thrones. Uh, they have, like, uh, I mean, like, people, the prospect of a room full of dead bodies. And for a moment, we believe that's really there. And here, that there's enough fear that they're going to get caught by the ambulance that Fred says, instead, let's drive in the rain with no headlights. Yeah. It's nighttime. Super unsafe. It's the weather conditions are bad. And also, they still use headlights. They, they, they're using headlights anyway, so that too. Um, there is uh, another secret passage um, into a mountain behind Niagara Falls, apparently. Yeah, of some sort. I, I do like secret passages behind waterfalls work really well for me. I really like that. I'm, I'm pretty into it. Um, they find that these criminals, I'll just come out and say it, are using a bread wrapping machine to disguise the gold. I have a multitude of issues with this scheme. I I do too. Let's can we wrap the plot and then then critique the plot because I also have a lot of thoughts. Yeah, do you I can I can run th- uh, please, if you could wrap it up, I think you've got it better than I do. Uh, so basically, Scooby and Shaggy are discovered. They try to run away in a minecart. Um, Dr. Coffin and his goons chase after them in their minecart. Scooby and Shaggy uh, roll back on the track, at which point the doctor and his goons are like, ah, they're going to crash into us. Um, they go back. They they are catapulted off their minecart into the bread wrapping machine and are... Um, they're uncovered um, just that way. Obliterated. They're they're smushed to pieces. Smished. Diced up. I mean, if yeah. you've ever seen a bread slicing machine, that's what happens to these guys. Uh, <laughs> Not quite. Um, and and here's the thing. This is why I said earlier that Fred is Velma in this episode. Velma comes up and she's like, "There's only one person it could be, Doctor Tuxbury." Uh, but it's not. As we said, he was asleep in his room the whole time, as we'll find out in the scene that follows. No, instead, it's the only other person we have to go on in this episode. It's Oldfield. Officer Oldfield himself. He was the ringleader of a multi-million dollar gold robbery in Montreal. Which is pretty impressive to do that and be a Royal Canadian Border Patrol officer. That's a big commute. Going to Montreal every day to plan that heist and, like, meet up with your crew and, like, do that and meet your shifts back at the border. I mean, there is a border near Montreal. Oh. Still. (laughs) Still, those are two jobs. He's moonlighting. Here's my favorite part about them breaking down, because during this whole thing, they're breaking down the exact scheme that um, Oldfield was doing. I have to say, the scheme made way, way, way more sense before they explained it. When they explained it, that's where it made the least amount of sense to me. So they're explaining it, and while they're explaining it, Scooby is eating an apple. I love this. First of all, that's weird. It's weird for a dog to eat an apple. And Luke finds... Sorry, not Luke. Scoob finds an angry worm in his apple, and the worm is really pissed. And the worm then finishes eating... Here's the thing. The worm isn't like... I thought it was the worm was going to be like, my home. You're biting into you, my you home. You bit my you wife did. in half. My, my children. <laughs> I had two children. Now I have four. 
Um, also, Instead, the worm yeah, sorry, yeah. eats the rest of the apple and then leaves. And that, that happens throughout over the entire explanation. It's almost like this gag was designed to draw our attention away from the crappy wrap-up. It definitely is. I almost... There- the, the, they just needed to fade the audio down of the explanation while the Apple scene was going on to make it a full, hilarious gag. The people who made this episode knew that kids were not going to care about the crime and the mystery. No, they didn't. Because they do their darndest to make sure that you're distracted by something else. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, I can't blame them for it. The writers didn't care about the mystery in this episode, so we can't expect the kids to jump on that train on their own. Um, it's just, it's hilarious to me. It's so intentionally sidelined. We don't get a single shot of anyone else while that audio is happening. Also, it's a worm, but it's a worm with like the little stubby arms. But it's clearly not a caterpillar. It's a wormapillar, if anything. Um... Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. And Dr. Tuxbury sticks his head out of his window because, yeah, he slept through the whole thing. Um, then Scooby is um, dancing with Daphne. Scooby's just dancing w- with Daphne without music. He's just doing it. Uh, Shaggy says he's a real Fred Astaire, that one. I really liked it. I thought that the dancing was really well animated. Yeah, I, I, I think they put some of the most effort into the end of the episode dancing animations. We've seen that before. Um, and then the other dogs show up because they want to dance with Scooby. Scooby is scared of his own kind. Uh, yeah, which kind of makes sense because they like these dogs did rapidly chase him before. So, and then one last note is while the gang is laughing at Scooby being chased away by other dogs, um, Shaggy has his arm casually draped across Velma's shoulders. Ooh, I did not notice that. Nice pick, dude. Super cash. Super cash. I love that. I love those little moments of intimacy. Um, not even necessarily romantic. could just be friends. Can we talk about the mystery? M- mystery? Yes, we can. What do we hear while Scooby's apple gag is going on? They were smuggling the gold across the border through the secret passageway, but as bodies in an ambulance? Well, it's, it's kind of weird on, like, they had one gag to get to the border, or one scheme to get to the border and another scheme to get across. Smugglers cast the gold into patient shapes to get it as far as the border. No, no, they didn't. They didn't um, cast... Well, no, they said, they say that they cast the gold into patient shapes to get it as far as the boulder, but then at the sanitarium, put them into bar. Like, they smelt them into bars. But they didn't even say they smelted them into bars. They just say, like, then they got to the sanitarium and they get them over the border by packaging them into bread. But the question is, why make them as patients to get to the, to the sanitarium? We're all within Canada here. Like, there's not... And also, they're all within ambulances. Yeah, they're all within ambulances. There's no need to do this. And, uh, I mean, like, outside of... I mean, we could mention... Doc, uh, Officer Oldfield apparently, like, has an in with multiple ambulance people. He, uh, like, doesn't want to use his own job to get across the border. He wants to use the sanitarium instead. And even when, like, again, they're not using the patients in ambulances to get them across the border. They then put all the gold into bread paper to then smuggle it again, this time across the border. So the ambulance thing is just purely within Canada. Well, that's the thing. So two things. First of all, I okay, I can kind of get that you would want the gold to be in sort of a human shape so that when you have the blanket over it, it looks like a human. Mm. So that's on the way to the hospital. 
Yeah, but which means they must have had a second primary smelting location. Because there's no way they they stole the gold and the gold was already in human form. Well, no, they said they cast the gold into patient shapes to get it as far as the border, and then when it arrived at the border slash sanitarium, which is right on the border, then they made it into, it's implied they made it into bars, which says they had a second location where they smelted them into patient shapes, So and it we was, never saw that? Presumably because we don't know, but I'm assuming it started as bars. Bars, patient shapes, bars. And the patient shapes are just within Canada to get it to a sanitarium. And then presumably once they get it into bars and then in their secret bread paper facility within Niagara Falls, which they drive to in an ambulance, they wrap it in bread paper, then ambulances deliver bread across the border Really heavy bread, by the way. Like these, their cre- their suspension is creaking as they cross the U.S. Canada border. Luke, have you ever touched or lifted a a gold bar? I I I haven't, but I do know how heavy they are because I once read a one minute mystery story that hinged on how heavy gold is. I went to um, the Royal Canadian Mint. I think it was in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Um, in which there was a guard there, but you're allowed to sort of heft a gold bar unbelievably weighty you would not believe it and that's the thing is like transporting this bread like if a a border patrol officer opened up the back they'd see like two loaves of bread in the back that's it (laughs) (laughs) because it's not a car that's designed to carry gold and also bread is one of the lightest foodstuffs yeah it's absolutely (laughs) i mean i imagine and like the border patrol officer like opens up the back of the thing like gets a pitchfork and pokes the stacks of bread (laughs) Like, maybe they throw a couple of actual loaves of bread on top or something. I don't know. But, like, no part of this makes sense. And also, like, we saw the cauldron still full of gold up in that, uh, like, observatory room. Fred didn't see that it was gold? Didn't look in the cauldron? I think the smartest thing they did in this episode was have Scooby do that gag during the wrap-up. Because it's one of the worst mysteries we've seen yet. And again, I think it could have been better. Like, they... At the end, purely the way they looked back on it made it worse than it had to be. Like me personally, I like it when the villain turns out to be someone who was thought to be a person of authority. Mm. Someone who's like, oh, I'm a cop or I'm a border patrol or whatever. Because the gang implicitly trusts those people. The gang conversely distrusts anyone who hates kids or is ugly. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) And poor Dr. Tewksbury, who Shaggy calls Gooseberry more than a few times, is ugly. He's not conventionally attractive. Also, I really like how when Shaggy says Tewksbury, Gooseberry the second time, Velma's just like, Tewksbury. (laughs) (laughs) And they move right on from there. Like, there's there's these little moments in this episode that are laugh-out-loud hilarious. But, man... Also, I mean, just the number of missed opportunities. The villain is a Border Patrol officer who does not use his job in any way. Well, I, I think, just to address that, I believe he was masquerading as a Border Patrol officer. Scooby might have been having a gag going on with, like, a, an ant or something while that was described. I don't know. So this is this is kind of an international episode, but an international episode that is close to home. For you, especially. For me, especially. Um, mm-hmm. How... How do you feel about this little snapshot of Canadian crime? Um, I think it's, I mean, it mostly has to do with, it's, there's so little about Canada in this episode. It more has to do with a, a sanitarium, which uh, sanitariums and asylums are something that existed in both the United States and Canada 
for a time. I don't know of any shades of difference there between the two, how the two handled those. Um, so it seems mostly to do with broken down, decrepit mental health facilities. More than anything Canadian or even anything American, I'm sad to say, on this proud near 4th of July, near Canada Day. You heard about that big, there's that big like maple syrup heist? I did hear about that, yeah. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes. You know, um, it's funny, there was also like a fried, like a chicken wing heist not too long ago. Like the most prototypical American and Canadian heists. Dude, I love Imaginable in the last few years. So much. You love chicken wings. You can also really handle your heat when it comes to chicken wings. Yeah, I really like spicy food. Anyway, Canada. Canada, this is, I mean... Canada, I mean, how do you feel like Canada was represented here? You know you know your country better than I do. I mean, Canada also has gold. Hmm. I kind of wish it didn't have this mental, this sanitarium, sanitarium thing attached to it. Uh, I think it would have been fun for it to be, for it to have been more Canadian um, in terms of setting. I think they wasted the Canadian setting, and especially, especially, they wasted the Niagara Falls. I don't know that we ever directly see it at any point. We get, like, we're on the edge of it. Yeah. There isn't, and, and I fully expected this when you assigned us this episode, I fully expected a scene where Scooby is in a barrel. Going over the Niagara Falls. I'm also amazed or that Or approaching Niagara Falls. And then is scooped out at the last second or something like that. It's, it really is amazing that we don't, it's so un-Niagara Falls related, so un-Canadian. It's basically a sanitarium episode. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's like if there was an episode that took place near the Grand Canyon, but they never used the Grand Canyon for anything. <laughs> it's all about like this gas station Can you imagine near that? the Grand Canyon. That would never would... happen. That would never no, happen. No, it never would. They'd never waste it like it, that. It, it's like, oh, um, yeah, there's a rest stop near... Um, <laughs> Uh, Mount Rushmore. Yeah, oh, we're approaching Mount Rushmore. Let's have the episode near the world's biggest ball of yarn. <laughs> like, let's take this right off. This exit right over here. Evan, for this outro, here's my question. What would you do for a Canadian episode of Scooby-Doo? An episode of Scooby-Doo that is in Canada. It's about Canada. We're here in Canada. Let's make use of the setting. Oh. Um. What should we have just been discussing? Huh, something that's like very quintessentially... Canadian. Um, I'm a little biased because mm. I'm in Toronto, and you'll find that people mm. either speak very well of Toronto because it's like New York City, like they want to go there, or very ill of Toronto because it's like, oh, those like city slickers. They think that they're the center of the country, which really they do, and <laughs> you do think that, but only because you are. I mean, like we're like it's it's the best represented in the media. Mm. Like Drake yeah, is true. from Toronto, which like does a lot. Oh, oh, that's what I would do. I would do, you, I would. You do, do like Scooby Doo and Guess Who with Drake. Yeah, it would be, and it would be, um, in the Air Canada Center, and it would be not about like the, sorry, no offense to the Maple Leafs, I don't really watch hockey, but it would be about the Toronto Raptors. Oh yeah, definitely. And it would be, it would be a real life raptor. Ooh. It would be the Royal Ontario Museum is doing like a Jurassic Park esque sort of exhibit, and a raptor starts menacing that museum and they somehow get to um the air canada center uh and it starts like messing up like uh, disrupting games and then drake is there because drake loves to support the raptors that would be my uh, scooby-doo episode uh i i have so many questions this is something we need to save for a writer's room down the road but just one further question who's the villain follow up is it drake no no it's that guy who um <laughs> 
<laughs> it's the guy who roasted Drake in that diss track. Oh, it's a. Uh, oh, was that uh, Pusha T? Pusha T. Not Meek. Meek Mill was like the guy who roasted. Like a, that was a long time ago. It's Pusha T. Exactly. <laughs> He's the villain. Oh, I think it's. Uh, I think it's Drake's son. Ooh. I think his, his secret son. Oh man. Okay. Or maybe it's it's Sophia Brussel. Man, you know a lot more about this than I thought you would. And then at the very end of the episode, when everybody's fighting, Kanye shows up and he's like, this is over. The, the episode's over. The only kind of rap beef I'll ever be familiar with, and this says something about how 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 white I am, is one involving Drake. Oh, I thought you were going to say Tupac and Biggie. Nope, I don't even really know that one. Uh, hey, listeners, welcome to the end of the episode. That was the episode. This is the end of it. Uh, I'm just going to rattle through places that you can find us if you really liked this podcast that you just listened to. Rattle it off, buddy. Uh, go to facebook.com slash scoobydudes. Please give us a like. Please follow us. You can also follow us and tweet at us at the Scooby Dudes on Twitter. Do you have an email address? Of course you do. It is 2018. Send us an email at scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to go to our website, it's real simple, scoobydudes.com. Couldn't be easier to remember. Go there, you'll get a portal for everything else, original title card art, captions, screenshots, show notes, corrections, everything you could want to follow up on this. I just want to spotlight um, him because this is his last title card for oh, us, hey. at least planned, um, Odango. You can follow him on Twitter at Delicious Butts. No spaces. It's just Delicious Butts, spelled as it sounds. You can also check them out on Tumblr, um, odangobuns.tumblr.com. O-D-A-N-G-O-B-U-N-S.tumblr.com. Their work for us has been phenomenal. So good. It is amazing. And in, in case you think this is a one-trick pony, our work hasn't even involved butts at all. And still, it has been top-tier mint. You could crack a walnut on the title card art that we've been given. So maybe maybe reach out to Odango. Maybe um, commission them for some art because uh, I have been very pleased with everything sent. Uh, and they've also been extremely professional. A- extremely. Uh, we more couldn't so be more me, grateful. By a lot. Yeah. I, I would love nothing more than if someone would commission Odango to draw our butts. Because we are, we're all Scooby-Doo related. We can't do that. But I always know when I'm about to be on my own, when I get like the head crook and hand to chin. <laughs> I know, like, okay, little boy. <laughs> my co-pilot just went to the bathroom. I do have a number of mannerisms that my friends have, have noticed. They've been like, um, oh, mm. there's this. I do, I kind of chicken wing. Oh, yeah, you, you definitely chicken wing. Dude, these are all ones that I recognize them immediately and I know what they mean, but I've never really, I've never charted them. And I also... I'll do this with my phone. I'll put my phone up against my lips. Do you do you know? Do you feel like if you had to, you could chart? You could figure out where you got these from. Like, you there's an inheritance from uh, different comedians or different media. The the chicken wing thing, um, I think from Dean Community. Uh, but no, no, from um, Modern Family. Were you gonna say Anthony Andrew? What's his name? There's this one guy on Bon Appetit, like YouTube videos. Hmm. Um, it's this, uh, and that's the kind of, like, mannerism I think that he would do. Huh. He's this very fit gay Persian a chef on Bon Appetit. All of the videos are good. All of the hosts are incredible. 
Um, he in particular, I find very funny because for a bunch of his videos, he would not chop when he's looking down and he would pretend to get cut. <laughs> and then he would like smile at the camera and be like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and he did that, I think, for two or three consecutive videos. Um, That's really good. And I like recurring gags like that. Me too. That's tight. Um, There's one hey, place above all others people should be checking us out. You mentioned the website, ScoobyDudes.com. But also, mm. there's stuff that's not on the website and is only available to a select number. Uh, only available to our greatest fans. I mean, a website, that's for everybody. You don't even have to like us to check out the website. But for true fans, for people who really like our stuff and want more, we've got Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash scoobydudes. Uh, give us a certain amount of money every month, and we will give you a certain amount of content every month. If if you give us an uncertain amount of money, we will give you an uncertain amount of content. And we are, so just in fact, fair as warning. soon as this episode is over, going to record some extra audio for a certain tier of our donors. Yeah, have you heard about that new uh, show, uh, Scooby-Doo and Guess Who, the new one that's coming out? Donate to us on Patreon and you will hear about it. And that's the only way you'll hear about it. There's no other information anywhere on the internet. We've got an exclusive uh, access to this info. So for this and many other things that we do, basically all of our other creative efforts we're throwing up there. We're throwing a lot of stuff up on Patreon. Patreon.com slash ScoobyDudes. Whatever you can give us, we appreciate it. It goes towards our title card art, towards our overhead, towards keeping our lights on. We also say the names of all of our donors every single episode. Because we appreciate them so darn much. And, uh, well, would we like to, shall we say them together here, Evan? Let's do it. Lastly. Not leastly. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, uh, please leave us a review. Please uh, rate us five stars. If you do so, I will read this review aloud on this podcast. Anyone who's listening to this, if you haven't written us a review yet, I am really disappointed. That hurts. But I would love it if you would write us a review for next week so we can read it out loud. If it's five stars, Evan reads it. I don't bleep it unless I have to. So tell us, put the words in Evan's mouth that he loves me. I would love that if you would do that. Not enough people have done uh, that. And listeners, counter, counter argument, do not do what that. What would you like people to, what words would you like people to put in your mouth? Uh... Granted, I guess you can kind of put words in your own mouth if you really want to. <laughs> you kind of, you got a direct line. Yeah, yeah, I, I have an in. You've got an in with the guy. I don't, I don't really need a middleman. <laughs> Dude, nobody has access to Evan like Evan does. Yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe that you love yourself. I, I, I love myself just fine. Whatever you want to write. I love you, Evan. Bye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>